following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Um, as you're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 12, uh, true obedience is true freedom. True or false? True obedience is true freedom. True. It's true. We've been talking about obedience in Deuteronomy, and if you want to, jump down uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 28, and we're going to start there, and then we'll go backwards, and then we'll go forwards. Uh, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 28, be careful to obey all these words that I command you, say you, all the words that I command you so that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever when you do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Now, uh, I know that it says when you do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, it does not say what is right and good in regards to yourself. It's always God's will, not our will. So Deuteronomy chapter 12, we've been talking about it. Bethany alluded to it in her prayer, contains instructions for the Israelites, these people who are wandering around the desert in the Old Testament. They're about ready to take on this promised land. There's Canaanites here who they have to overtake, and they're about to enter into this land, take this land, and God is going to command them through Moses, our author, their leader, how and where to worship. What does worship look like? So he's going to kind of tackle this. When you take this land, when you come into this land, this is what worship is going to look like for you, God's people. And it's here, Moses tells God's people the importance of destroying all of the places that the Canaanites had set up for improper worship. So here, just, just, just follow this for just a second. There's places of improper worship in this world, and there's places, for po- uh, there's places for proper worship in this world. Too many Ps, okay? And God says, you're curious as humans on the improper places to worship. Say amen. We get curious about those places, and God says, I want you to destroy those things and have your full devotion to me. And so Israel is to seek the Lord, not let their curiosity about these other pagan nations take precedence or get the best of them, but let God's word set the quality of life for them. It is God's word and his will and their submission to him in obedience in every area of their life. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he doesn't want just like 50%. He wants the whole entire thing. And a lot of us are content with, uh, I'll give you my, my, my tithe, my 10%, right? I'll give you that. But when it comes to other things, it's like me life, and then there's like my life with God. And God says, that's not how this works. He says, I, I want all of it. I want all of it. Can you imagine, and those of you who are married, if you did that on your wedding day, right? You looked at your spouse, and you're like, hey, I'm going to give you 50% of myself. Like, that just doesn't worry. We'd be like, what? Why are we even getting married? I don't know. You're just like a good addition, and, and you make me look good. That's not how this works. I, I want 
all of you, all of your devotion, right? That's what God says to the Israelites. All right, so what does proper worship look like? What does it look like? Let's look at the first four verses. These are the statutes, verse 1, and the rules that you shall be careful to do in the land, the promised land, that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess. And you're supposed to do these things all the days that you live on the earth. This is, this is what this looks like. So Moses starts to unpack, verse 2 through 4, where and when to worship. Where and when to worship. Now, you're probably sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not an Israelite. I don't live in the Old Testament, so this doesn't apply to me. That's false. This does apply to you. This has major New Testament connotations to it. To truly worship the Lord, sometimes we need to destroy the places where we used to worship other gods. Now, there's uh, psychologists and people like that who say if you're a smoker and you want to stop smoking cigarettes, you need to make radical changes to your life. So they'll say, for example, like if you're a smoker and you smoke in your car, you should probably sell your car. If you smoke in your house, you should probably remodel your house. They say when you start to change the, the environment, you can start to change the behavior. And so what's happening here is there has to be a defining of what worship is because the Israelites are looking at it and they're seeing this place where the Canaanites worship and they're saying, is that worship? And they're seeing their worship and they're saying, well, is this what we do worship? Who's right in their worship? So worship has to be defined. So worship is defined like this, so we're all on the same page. Worship is the acknowledgement of God and his power and glory. We come to God through a relationship, first and foremost, with Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, okay? So that acknowledgement of God, that it is him and not I, that he is greater and that I am less. John chapter 3, verse 16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So we look back to God in adoration for his power and his glory, and we respond in worship to him. This is the highest form of praise and worship, is obedience to God's commands that are outlined in his scripture. So it's not just music, right, church? Okay, so it has to go beyond music. People do this all the time. They come up and they go, oh, I love the worship this morning. You love the music this morning, all right? And, and that's, that's okay. But if the music doesn't change the behavior, then we'd have to ask, was it really truly worship? And so we look at this and we can say it, it goes beyond music. It goes into our everyday lives. It goes into our hands and feet. It goes into our mouth, how we say things and how we live out the things that we know to be true in God's word. Now, in Bible times, it was normal. If you look at verse 2, it was normal to take a building and make it a place of worship to a false god. Our God hated that, <laughs> okay? He wants all the places, verse 2, first part, of pagan worship to be destroyed. Now, how do you know that, Jordan? Well, mountains and hills, if you want to underline that, in the second part of verse 2, were significant. Because in some ancient Near Eastern regions, there were people who believed that deities or false deities or false gods lived or originated in those spots. The Canaanites also believed, look at verse 2, in the green trees. 
And they created all of these objects of worship that were significant for their pagan worship that sexualized the fertility and nature of humanity. So in other words, they were a perverse generation. That's another way to say that, all right? And so, oh, there's some commonalities between our culture and their culture, right? Now, as we dig a little deeper, God does not want Israel to adopt worshiping creation over the creator. The created things should point back to the creator. Now, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. To the church in Rome, he says, the problem with your society is people have traded the truths about God for a lie, and they're worshiping and serving the things of God instead of the creator himself. Does that still happen in Transpire today? Say yes. <laughs> Try it. Say yes. Okay. So what are we supposed to do? Complete destruction of pagan places of worship. Does that mean that you go downtown South Bend today and just start setting things on fire? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Complete destruction of pagan places of worship, one, enables pure worship of the Lord, and two, shows Israel's allegiance to him. Look at verse four. You shall not worship the Lord your God in the ways that the world worships their God. You do not worship the Lord the way that the world worships their idols. You tracking? Because sometimes our worship looks very similar to the world's worship. And it should be distinctly different. Many people can begin to worship God in spirit and truth. That's John 4, verse 24. If they would simply destroy the places of pagan worship in their heart. So you didn't answer the question, where do we worship? Verse 5. When Israel enters the promised land, God would choose a place, verse 5, to put his name. What he means is he's going to choose a site for this place called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is going to be where God and his people would meet together, and there's some outlining of this in Exodus chapter 33. In the tabernacle, people would come and they would offer burnt offerings to God. That's what Leviticus is all about. And they would completely burn these on the altar. This is verse 6. And when they gave these things, it would show their total dependence upon God. Now, if you want to, in verse 6, you should circle the word sacrifices, because that's an interesting word. Sacrifices refers to a sacrifice that was given as an expression of appreciation, and it followed a communal meal. So all of these sacrifices that are given in verse 6 are given as a thank you for something specific that God has done to fulfill a vow made to the Lord as a general thank you via the firstborn of their herds. So what, what, what we're getting here in the text is the people gave God their best. They never came into the assembly with seconds or thirds or fourths. They were ready to go when they worshipped God. And it wasn't just uh, in their corporate worship. It was in their personal worship as well. They were constantly ready at any moment of their day to praise God. 
Anything that they participate in could be an opportunity to worship and praise God, whether that be to eliminate some sort of sin or to embrace some sort of sacrifice that he had given to them. Now notice in verse 2, it says, their worship service was defined as joyful. So they smiled a lot, and they were happy to do these things. Look at verse 7, he says, you and your families shall eat and rejoice. You know what rejoice means? You should be excited. You should be happy, right? Some of you had to say that before you walked in the church this morning. I'm going to be happy today. I'm going to walk into the church. I'm going to smile. I'm going to be excited, right? You're going to have to say it tomorrow when you get up and go to your job and things like that, right? I'm going to worship. I'm going to be happy. Fake it till you make it. Rejoicing, okay, in the Lord's presence occurs over six times in Deuteronomy. Now, here's what I get out of just this where to worship and how it kind of moves into the New Testament text. Notice, first and foremost, that worship was not left to the Israelites' opinion or individual effort. It was not what they felt like doing. God hasn't called us to follow him in isolation, nor has he called us to worship him, just leaving it up to our own ideas. It is all outlined in his word on how we are to worship him. They had to worship God at his place with other people present. This is why we don't neglect the fellowship that has been entrusted to our care. This is why we're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here with you, and hopefully you're excited to be here with me, right? This is a good thing to be in the house of God. There's joy in the house of the Lord. And so worship is not as a do-as-you-please or a Lone Ranger activity, right? You just don't get to, like, do whatever you want. Like, it's not that way. So where do we worship corporately, and what should transpire there with New Testament eyes? This is, this is the Israelites. How does this carry over God to where we're at today? Well, let's highlight three things. Three things. There's, there's many things that should transpire in corporate worship, but let me just bring it down to three. Number one, the place where we worship together is to be a place of atonement. When we gather here on Sunday morning, this place that we have here together should be a place of praise, should be a place of confession, should be a place of cleansing, should be a recalibration, it should be a refocus, it should be that we get to Saturday night and we say, I need to get a good night's rest because tomorrow I recharge for the rest of next week. Then, number two, the place should be a place of giving. Oh, pastor's talking about money. Absolutely. It's in the Bible. Don't get mad at me for it. He says, bring your first fruits. That's God's will, right? <laughs> I heard one time, it says, I could never give to the church. I said, if you didn't give to the church, it would be dark in the church because we had to pay for the light somehow, right? But here's what the problem is. Most of the time, people who are mad about giving don't understand that it's just not about giving. It's also about spiritual gifts of giving too as well. Like giving's really 10% of the whole thing. It's about more. It's about how we'll give our time and our talents and our energies to making Christ known. Where do we get this from? We get this from Deuteronomy chapter 12. A place of atonement, confession, sins, cleansing, a place of giving with our first fruits as well as our spiritual gifts, and then one of joyful fellowship. 
Now, if I was ranking us as a church from zero to 10, I would say we're at like a nine. I think, church, we're doing a great job here. Like, I really do. I think we have this, this corporate worship service, which is, which is a beautiful thing where we see all these things happen. We praise the Lord. We confess our sins. We, we preach the word. We live out this word. I think that's fantastic. I think giving is taking place. That's fantastic. I see all of the spiritual gifts being given. Anybody that would go on a fourth and fifth grade retreat, bless you. Okay. Matter of fact, Sunday school hour, somebody said, uh, I only go sixth grade and up. <laughs> and I thought, I only go like, like uh, college student and up, all right? Some of us have our limits. <laughs> and then I think it's good. I think we have a joyful fellowship. Would you agree? I mean, I think, I think we're genuinely excited to be here. I see that, right? I don't see you guys like, this, this is kind of a drag. This is a good place to worship. Where do we worship? We worship in this place. Now, when? When do we worship? Verse 8. Earlier in the wilderness, God tells Moses to command the people to not slaughter a cow, a sheep, or a goat without first bringing animals to the entrance of the tabernacle and present it as an offering to him. He gives two reasons for this. First reason is to keep the Israelites from worshiping pagans, and then two, to not eat the blood of their sacrifice. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, like, why is this important? This is how this kind of bakes down a little bit, okay? The people were lazy. Look at verse 8. It specifically says in the text, You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. That's a big passage of Scripture. Because you get to the point where it's like, if everybody's doing whatever they want, we have a problem right? God loves systems and structures. He sets those things up. What's happening here in the text is people are conducting their own worship as they saw fit. And why does God hate this? Because he knows in their heart it's not real worship. 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 7 says, God does not see the same way people see. The Lord looks at the heart. God sees the hearts of the people, and when the people just go and do whatever they want, God's like, that's not true worship. So when they enter the promised land, there's going to be a place where God would choose to worship, verse 12. And there, Israel would rejoice, there's that happy, right, before the Lord your God. And there would be times of communal worship that manifested from their individual acts. So church, track with me here for a second. Our worship on Sunday morning is a culmination of all your individual acts of worship within the week. So if you come to church and you're like, hey man, church was kind of a drag today. Maybe it's because your past week was a drag in regards to your personal worship to God. Take personal responsibility for your own stumbling. So, so maybe your heart wasn't prepared, right? And you're like, no, it wasn't my fault. It was my spouse's fault. That's a whole nother ball game, and I wouldn't go down that road, right? Because you point a finger at somebody, you got four pointing back at you plus a thumb. So where we worship and when we worship the Lord is important. If somebody tells himself, well, then I'll just worship by myself. I'll just worship on my own time. I'll just go to the golf course and worship. I'll just do that, right? That's, if that's what you want, I'll just, I'll just praise the Lord while I'm playing nine holes. Well, you have to ask yourself, are you doing whatever is right in your own eyes or is that what God wants? It's fine to worship God on the golf course. It can be done, so I've been told. But there's also a specific place where 
A person needs to come to worship God with God's people. So where can we worship the Lord? Let me just tell you some church. You can, you, can, you can serve the Lord and praise the Lord in any place on planet Earth. It's totally possible. Um, I'm reading a, a fantastic book. Actually, I just finished it yesterday. It's called Strangely Bright by a guy named Joe Bigney. And uh, it, I would highly recommend you pick it up. He talks about how you can worship the Lord for the gifts that he has given to you. And you can worship them in a way that they will not become idols in your life. So you can worship the Lord always in all places. When can I worship the Lord? You can worship the Lord always in all places. But there has to be, and I think this passage of Scripture is stressing, there has to be a place and there has to be a time set apart with the people of God. And I'm so thankful that we have our church here where we worship at God's appointed place and it's marked with joy. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, like, you're, you're kind of pushing this hard, Jordan. Like, you're, you're kind of big on this. Well, first of all, I, I love it here, right? I think this is a great place. But here's the problem. Much of what is called worship in today's church is not worship. It's self-focused. It's man-focused. It's personal experience-focused instead of focused on the Lord. Church, we focus on Jesus being Savior. We always will. And, and when we deter from that, I will step down as your pastor. Our focus has to be on Christ alone, his word alone. This is why we are here. Much of today's worship is focused on how you feel over how God is to be honored and worshipped. And we go back to the word and we say this is what God's word says about how he is to be adored and honored and worshipped. It is not up to your own personal preference. And let me just tell you something. I just studied Deuteronomy 23 and 24 and 25, and I thought to myself, God, that's, that's kind of not fair. And he's like, I'm God. And I'm like, well, I might be sick that day. And he's like, we'll see. So there's some passages of Scripture coming up in Deuteronomy where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if you know. He's like, I know what I'm doing. I'm like, okay. So that is, that is where and when to Worship. Okay, so what transpires in that place? How do we worship? Verse 15. In the ancient world, almost every time an animal was butchered, it was sacrificed to God. And God made it clear that not every slaughtered animal was considered a sacrifice to him. Now that should cause you to kind of like cock your head a little bit and, and, and have some concern, right? Because if you, if you look at that, you realize that sometimes God doesn't accept sacrifices of worship to him. So you have in like verse 15, you have gazelle and deer and you have these animals that are acceptable and not acceptable for worship and they could be eaten if they weren't slaughtered for offerings. Now the blood is always important, verse 16. If you look at that, he says, <clears throat> only you shall not eat the blood. There's, there's power in the blood. Don't eat the blood, right? I, I wouldn't. I've done that. I would have been like, I, I don't think that's good. Now, why does it go through 15 and 16 and all of these things that you're kind of scanning right now? Why are these there? And why did you fail in your Bible reading plan when you got to Leviticus? This is why. All ceremonial laws that are mostly found in Leviticus are designed to teach God's people truths about his nature, who he is, our nature, how we wander, and then how 
those things need to come together in regards to our relationship to God. It is the practice and purity of worship. So when we talk about the practice of worship, Moses, verse 15, is warning the people that anything intended for use in worshiping God could only be eaten at the future site of the central sanctuary. Verse 18, in that place the Lord your God will choose. We're just validating some of the things we already talked about. Stay with me. This shows God demanding people take worship seriously. So when God gives all these little intricate laws, he's wondering if people are going to take them seriously. He's wondering if his people are really going to listen to what he has to say. So when we get into this, we we realize that Israel was not to neglect the Levites. Now, I love this passage of scripture as a pastor because it's like, hey, don't forget your pastor, right? In verse 19, we realize that Levites were the priests for the people and they had no tribal allotment for land. Say, how sad. Uh, Isn't that that terrible? My heart goes out to the Levites, right? It's like, you get a house, you get a house, you get a house, you get to live in that person's house. I'd be like, well, hold on a second, what? I feel like I got the short end of the stick. But it says in verse 14, or in chapter 14, verse 27, it says, the people will provide for them. Yay! So you wonder if the people are going to do a good job, right? So the practice of worship, watch this, was to be mindful, number one, on what was being sacrificed to God, and then two, an act of worship of taking care of God's people. Could you say that? In a better way. Yeah, absolutely. You should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you should love your neighbor as your... That's exactly what he says in that passage of scripture. He says, you should love everything that God has given you. And respond in his gifts. And then you should also take care of the people that are around you. Who is my neighbors? Anybody who has a need in which I am able to meet. So the practice of worship was vertical, but it was also horizontal. That's why the Ten Commandments has the first four are about how to love God, and the second six are how about loving people. See how that works? So we see that this is the practice of worship. Love the Lord first, then love people. And it should be, verse 29, pure. There's purity in worship. Purity in worship was also to be protected as Israel was commanded to guard themselves against the sin of curiosity. Buckle up. Look at verse 30. Take care, church, this this is America right here. I'll go back to 29. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go to in dispossess and you dispossess them and dwell in their land take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their gods saying how did these nations serve their gods do we do this a hundred percent all the time when we see purity of worship this is how most sin manifests Curiosity kills cats, but ungodly curiosity has also killed many spiritual lives. What you promote persists. And so when we get into this situation, we start like curious. Hey, man, 
uh, Ron at work struggles with this specific sin. I wonder why. I should probably research that to help him. No, you should not. It's just sit. Just tell him to stop it. Don't research. Oh, Carol's really struggling with, with these specific sins. Maybe if I went and got into her support group. No, you don't need to go to Carol's support group. You're good. Like, just support her and pray for her through it. Israel gets into trouble because they're curious how other nations serve their gods. Let me give you a real tangible way that this lives out in, in the ministry. When I was doing youth ministry, we used to do this book called So What's the Difference? And it outlines all the differences of all the different religions of the world. And at the end of the chapter of each book, of, uh, end of the chapter of the book, it would go back to this is what Christianity responds to it. We stopped doing it. You want to know why? Because kids got so curious about those religions. And what I realized is we were populating those religions. We're just like, hey, try this and try this and try this because students, like all good students, don't read to the end of the chapter. And so we had a big problem. But if you stare at the real thing long enough, you realize the fakes and you don't have to worry about them. So God must be worshipped, John 4, verse 24, in spirit and in truth. And you need to get your curiosity and check. Now this is, where, now this is really going to get real. Look at verse 29 through 31. In 29 through 31, we see the words them and they referring to the Canaanites who worshipped a god named Molech. Now, Molech is really, really important when you study the Old Testament. He is called the personified ruler of shameful sacrifice. Molech worship included child sacrifices in verse 31. These were called passing children through the fire. The idols of Molech were giant metal statues of a man with a bull's head. Each image had a hole in the abdomen and outstretched forearms that made a kind of ramp into the hole. They would light a fire in or around the statue where babies were placed in the statue's arms or hole, and when a couple sacrificed their firstborn, they believed that Molech would ensure financial prosperity for a family and future children. The baby would die. It would be sacrificed. Now, you, you sit there and you think about that and you go, you go, man, I'm glad that doesn't happen today. That's false. This is called abortion. People sacrifice their unborn children in hopes that financial prosperity will come upon them if they eliminate this life. That's not good. Nor is that godly. So Israel's curiosity led to many sinful acts that followed Molech. Just look at this. Just, just track with this. You probably can't even read this, so I'll read it to you. In 1 Kings, Solomon, the great Solomon, the man of wisdom, sanctioned worship of Molech, building a temple to him. I thought he was a godly guy. Godly people make mistakes. King Ahaz, in 2 Kings chapter 13 of Judah, gave his own son to Molech. Northern tribes of Israel worshipped Molech, which led to an Assyrian captivity in 2 Kings 17, 17. King Manasseh of Judah gave his son to up to the days of King Josiah of Judah, Molech worship continued because he destroyed a place of worship to that idol. Look at this, the strand of curiosity that comes from people who are curious about sin. It affects generation after generation after generation. Can I talk to you parents for a second? The curiosity that you have about sin affects your children and your children's Children and your children's children's children, you've got to do whatever you possibly can to eliminate that now. So look at the standard in verse 32. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it. You shall not 
take away from it. The standard for worship was reflected in God's word. It was not in human preference. It was not in human opinion. And our worship is to be practiced correctly. We call this doctrine, sound doctrine, sound theology, pure theology. A simple curiosity about evil practices eventually leads to the destruction of yourself and the nations. Somebody asked me this the other day. I said, why do you think our nation is so far off? I said, it's easy. We got curious about things that we shouldn't have been curious about. Because we take curiosity one step too far. Now, the crazy thing is the same warning is repeated by Paul to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 12. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Can I talk to you about your sin for a second? No, you may not. You can talk to me about what God's doing in your life. You can talk to me about the things of his word. You can talk to me about truth. But I do not want to talk about sin. Because when we start talking about sin, then I start to get curious. And when I start to get curious, that's when I start going astray. Practice and purity of worship was important. Their eyes were to be focused on the Lord. Now, how does this play out? So, I kind of fell in love with walking this past week. I don't know what happened. I just, I just like it, all right? I think I'm getting old. So, like, I told Bethany the other day, I'm like, I'm going for a walk. And she's like, you're doing what? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm just trying these waters out. This is what's going to happen. And uh, she's like, okay. Uh, and so I took the dog, and we have a basset hound. His name is Frank. He's like 70 pounds. Frank likes to walk about 10 feet, and then he's done. So I got around the block, and he's dying. He's like, oh, man, what are we doing? He's like, we sit. We don't walk. <laughs> and so I dropped him off, and I kept on going, right? You know, I was like, all right, you just stay here. And he's like, no problem. <laughs> and um, so today, uh, I, I'm like, we're going to keep the walk streak alive. We're going to go for a walk. So I, I went out, and I went for a walk. And there's two, th- two problems with the walk this morning. Number one was it was dark, and number two, it was slippery. And so I'm, I'm, I'm walking and I'm slipping and sliding all over the place, right? And then there's this little park in Bremen and we're going up to this park. I can't believe I'm telling you the story. And, uh, and it's dark. And, and you know when you get to a dark, scary place, your prayer life just instantly like picks up? <laughs> so I was, like, I was like, Lord, it's your servant, Jordan. <laughs> I might not make it to church today because I'm going to fall on my face because you have put in me a walk. And so I'm, I'm going into it, and, and, and I'm, I'm walking, and I was reminded of Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 28, and it says, be careful. And I was like, oh, be careful. I was like, that's funny how God's word speaks in times of your life, right? And I'm like, be careful, be careful, be careful. But, but Deuteronomy 12, 28 says, be careful to obey. And he says, yeah, but Jordan, Ephesians says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And so here was the crazy thing of the whole story. So I did this in the dark for probably a solid like 10 minutes today. I'm walking in the dark, sliding all over the place until I realized, ready for this? I have a cell phone that has a flashlight on it. (laughs) Praise God from whom all blessings do flow. (laughs) Look at this beautiful device that he has put in my hand. Thank God that everybody else was sleeping so nobody could see this, right? So here's, here, be, be careful to obey. Watch how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, in the light of your word. 
And so here, here's, here's what happened. This, this gets better. So I hit the light, and, and I'm letting the light shine. Now, here's where this gets hard. There's a clearly paved piece of sidewalk that has ice all over it, or there's snow on the other side that I have a choice to walk in. I can either walk where it's slippery, or I can take a little bit tougher route and gain traction. So, so we go on the other route so that it may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is good and right, not in your own sight. Because let me tell you what, I wanted to see if I could skate across that ice, and I think I, think I might have been able to, but I might not have been here this morning. So that you may be able to do what is good and right, not in your own sight, but in the sight of the Lord your God. Let's walk that way this week. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and the fact that it's truth. A light unto our past is what the psalmist says. You give us the ability to see clearly what is laid out in front of us. And we've already seen clearly that um, you sought our best when Christ died on the cross for our sins. If you're gathered here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in, in Christ, then your decision this morning is to trust Christ. There's a little white book in front of you in the pew, and it outlines the gospel. Romans tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then we confess our sins to the Lord. He calls us his children. And God, as, as children, we who are believers here in this place have, have made the mistake of walking in the dark for way too long. There's Bibles that have been placed upon shelves that are covered with dust. There's times and places in our life that we just have abandoned you. And we haven't even asked that you would open our eyes and our ears to understanding and shown us the good things that you have in store for us. So help us not to be unwise, but wise. Help us to walk in your word that is truth, that it may go well with us. It's not our opinion, it's, it's your opinion that matters. Help us to do what is good and right in the sight of you, God. May our worship be pure. May our practice of worship be pure. And may we continue to make your son Jesus known both near and far in all we think, say, and do. I love you, church. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, Simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.